Hi, my name is Diana, and the Old Testament reading is found in Ezekiel 37, verses 7 through 10. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying, then a great quaking, and the bones came together, bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and then they were covered over with skin. But there was still no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, human one, say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, come from the four winds, breath, breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as he commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Britt. Um, the New Testament reading is found in Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. At one time you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. You used to live like the people of this world. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. At one time you were like those persons. All of you used to do whatever felt good and whatever you thought you wanted so that you were children headed for punishment just like everyone else. However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things we did wrong. He did this because of the great love he has for us. You are saved by God's grace. And God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Maddie. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 11, verses 20 through 26. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. So Father, we ask again that by your spirit, you would open up our hearts to receive the word of the Lord. We pray that you give us the grace to have soft hearts, hearts that are ready to receive, hearts that are willing to believe, hearts that are soft in your hands, that you would transform us by your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as our way of kind of journeying with Jesus to the cross in this season of Lent, we've been in a series about the I am sayings of Jesus. And so if you were here at the opening of the service, we opened with this call and response from one of the Gospels where Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? But our series is taken from John's Gospel where Jesus, instead of asking the question of his disciples, begins to say to the crowds and to them, 
I am, and then he fills in the blank with a few particular different things. Now, the I am claim of Jesus is in itself significant because it's an echo of what the voice from that burning bush said to Moses when, when Moses says, who shall I say is sending me? And the voice says, I am that I am. And there's this divine name that's sort of implicit in that phrase. And so when Jesus is saying it, his, his listeners are thinking, wait a minute, did he just, is he trying to... And as if that weren't enough, each of the things Jesus says is actually a claim of, that associates him with Yahweh. And so when he says, I'm the bread of life, he's saying, I'm not just the Moses who allows the bread to be dished out. I'm the one who causes the bread to come, and I'm the bread itself. And then he says, I'm the light of the world. He's saying, I'm the one that was there before the world began. And then when he says, I'm the good shepherd, it's an echo of a promise that Ezekiel gave that God himself would come and be the shepherd. So each of these claims of Jesus are loaded statements that were meant to sort of make his listeners rethink what, uh, who he really is. And I think they're meant to sort of have that effect on us today. They're meant to sort of be disruptive in a good way because we kind of get in this habit of like, yeah, 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 I know Jesus and he's this and he's that, you know. And these claims, we're looking at them again, asking the Lord to let us see Jesus with fresh eyes. Maybe some of you have had conversations with your friends or your colleagues or people that you work with or your uh, uh, fellow schoolmates in university, and, and they've said, if the subject of Jesus comes up, no doubt, they'll say something like, oh yes, Jesus, I really like him. Really good chap. You know, good teacher. I think, uh, I think Jesus, Gandhi, the Buddha, the Dalai Lama, all wonderful teachers. Put them up there with Aristotle and Socrates, Plato, might as well. All just great teachers of wisdom. Wisdom. And most people have some sense of value for what Jesus taught. And if you pressed further and said, well, tell me some of the things that Jesus taught that you really like, they'll say, oh, well, didn't he say to, you know, to love your neighbor as yourself? Or didn't he say to bless your enemies or turn the other cheek? I mean, I don't know how to do that, but I think that's a pretty nice thing to say. You know, it's a nice sentiment. And so there's generally a warmth towards the teachings of Jesus. But the trouble is the same stories, the same gospels that give us the teachings of Jesus, also give us these claims that Jesus made. And these claims, they don't go down as easily. They are remarkable claims because they challenge us to look differently at life and to look differently at who Jesus is. And so this morning, we're talking about Jesus's claim to be the resurrection and the life. The last nine or ten months or so have been really great for sports fans. Um, I mean, I think all of us can say, look, whether or not you, you're, a, you're a diehard sports fan or just sort of an average one, the last few months have been tremendous. I mean, let's go all the way back to the NBA Finals last year. I mean, who can't appreciate the story of the hometown boy who was exiled as the traitor when he left to Miami, coming back to Cleveland, all the odds stacked against him. They're down 3-1, and LeBron and Kyrie put the team on their back, and they win it all. Unbelievable uh, run to the championship, right? I mean, we love that. Oh, yes, Cleveland, woo, right? Even if we weren't, we were all Clevelandites that day, right? Then in the fall, you had the great comeback from the Cubs, and the Cubs win the World Series. Cubs win, Cubs win, Cubs win, and everyone's like, oh, this is so great. What a great baseball story. I don't even like baseball. I got into it. <laughs> and then, of course, 
reluctantly and begrudgingly, there was also that Super Bowl victory where Tom Brady and the Patriots came back from 25 down. Blah, blah, blah. And I love talking to sports fans when, you know, the epic comeback is complete because these fans will say, well, I knew the whole time they were going to do this. I never doubted Tom Brady. I was like, really? At halftime, down 25? You never, I never doubted LeBron. I never, you know, whatever the story is, you're like, I just knew they were going to do it. And that, you know, I think, I think they might have been saying something different when the odds were stacked against their team. Because we all know moments in life when it seems like it's over. And there's these places and these situations that we come to and we say, oh, wait a minute, do I really need to face the music? Do I have to face up to the facts and say, you know what, it's over, this ain't gonna happen. And maybe the thing that most profoundly represents the end of all possibilities is death. Physical death is that reminder whenever we encounter it that this has a ring of finality to it. Ah, oh, this is it. Is this it? It's over. They're not going to recover. Things aren't going to change. This isn't going to turn. The worst has occurred. Is it over? And so in those moments... We're tempted to give up on God and to say, well, God, I'm not sure why this happened, but it didn't happen. You, you, I, I, I think I'm done with you. Or maybe what's worse is we believe that God's given up on us. And so in the depths of those darkness, when we encounter the dead end, the place where we're convinced it's over, it's over, isn't it? It's really over. In the darkness of that moment, we begin to say, we begin to wonder, not have I given up on God, but has God given up on me? Is this it? Our text this morning is a story of a woman encountering the very darkness of these questions, faced with the finality of death. John 11 tells the story of Lazarus' death and Martha's conversation with Jesus. Turn with me to verse 17 of John 11. And now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remains seated at the house. I love the portrait of Mary and Martha in the Gospels is always this. Mary is always the one who's going to sit and contemplate and wait. And Martha is a person of action. I mean, I think if we're honest, more of us could probably relate to Martha. We're like, listen, listen, something needs to be done here. Something needs to be said here. This isn't right. I want Jesus to know what's happened. And so Martha is a person of action. She's going to do something about this. And so Martha went over, but Mary remained seated. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many of you have had, Lord, if you had, moments? Moments where you say, you know what, Lord, if you had done this, if you had just prevented this, Lord, if you had only showed up sooner, Lord, if you had. And the depths of our anguish can be expressed in this question, Lord, if you had. 
Why, Lord, didn't you? But even now, she says, here's a glimmer of her trust in Jesus, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, look, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, to make sense of this story, we've got to lay a little bit of groundwork about the context. See, resurrection for the Jews of Jesus' day was what they were hoping for. Sometimes for many of us as, as Christians, we've sort of been conditioned to think about uh, this thing of, of, well, when you die, you believe in Jesus, but when you die, you go to heaven, and so there's this whole other place, and there's this other thing going on. That, that, we'll leave that aside for a moment, but that wasn't the hope of the Jews of Jesus' day. They weren't waiting to go to heaven when they died. That wasn't the great hope. The great hope for the Jews of Jesus' day was that one day God would bodily raise them up and all would be set right in the world. You see this in different places. You see this at the end of Isaiah's prophetic vision about a new heaven and a new earth. But you also see this in a set of books. I don't know if you've ever read them, but they come in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We don't consider them to be scripture, but they're useful stories and insights about what happened to the people of God. It's the book of the Maccabees. And there's this story here of the Jews being persecuted and being tortured. And in the midst of it, as they're cutting off fingers and hands of, 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 of the Jews, they're saying to them, it doesn't matter. In the last day, God will raise my body up. I mean, think of that. That's how they faced physical torture and torment. They said, God's going to give me a new body. It doesn't matter what you do. And so resurrection is the hope of new creation and new bodies. Resurrection is the actual hope for new creation and new bodies. If there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, then God was also going to give them new bodies with which they could inhabit that new creation. And so this is why Martha says, yeah, 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 Jesus, I know on the last day my brother will rise again. She doesn't say, I know, Jesus, my brother's in heaven because the father needed another angel. She doesn't say some trite thing about, you know, spirits being released from the prison of the body. She says, no, I know that his body will rise again. The only people, the only Jewish group in Jesus' day that didn't believe in resurrection were the Sadducees. And this is why there's a great preacher joke about this, you know. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Anyway, well, thank you. That's good. But there's something more going on here because death in the Old Testament actually is very significant. Remember the Genesis story. What does God say to Adam and Eve? He says, don't eat this fruit. If you eat this fruit, you will surely die. Death is about what happens when we rebel against God. Now listen, so many times in your conversations with your friends, no doubt someone will say, I can't accept your God because what kind of God would just kill people who don't believe in him? So wait a minute, that's not how the story goes. The story is that when you disconnect yourself from the author of life, you die. If you pull up a plant from the soil, what's going to happen to the plant? It's going to die. You don't say, how judgmental of the soil. What a harsh and vindictive soil it was that killed this plant. You're like, no, hang on. You, 
you disconnected the plant from the thing that was giving it life. And so God says to Adam and Eve, walk with me and you will live. Choose a life that is apart from me and you will surely die. Because there is no way to live apart from the author of life. So death is the embodiment of our disconnection from the source of life. Death is the embodiment of our separation and turning away from God as the author of life. But there's another picture that's closely linked with death. What happens in that Genesis story right after they eat the fruit? They're banished from Eden. You might even say they were exiled, right? This becomes the whole story of Israel. They enter the promised land. They sin against God. They rebel against God. They make false gods for themselves. What does God do? He drives them out of their land. Just as Adam and Eve were driven out of Eden, so Israel driven out from their land. Exile. I want you to see both of those things because this is why when Ezekiel stands up in Ezekiel 37 and he has this vivid and almost kind of bizarre vision of a valley of bones. I mean, think about this. This is like, what kind of a movie is this, you know? I mean, who is this guy that has these these vivid pictures and he sees a valley of bones and then God says, speak to it and the bones start to come together. I mean, this is like, you know, the walking dead, but but cooler, you know? And all of a sudden, you know, like muscles get on it and skin gets on, but they're still not alive. And then God says, prophesy to it, speak life to it. This is an echo of Genesis where where God creates Adam from the dust and does what to Adam? (sighs) Breathes in it. And so God tells Ezekiel, breathe, command the breath to fill these bodies, command, and all of a sudden, they come to life. And this picture in, in Ezekiel's mind is a picture of not just resurrection, but also the return from exile and the forgiveness of sin. So resurrection is also a metaphor for the return from exile and the forgiveness of sins. Resurrection was a literal hope, but it was also a metaphor, a picture of that great day when Israel would return from exile, when the people of God would return, when there would be forgiveness of sins. Now, watch what Paul the Jewish scholar that he was. Watch what Paul does with both of these images. His letter to the Ephesians, it was our New Testament reading this morning, Ephesians 2. At one time you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. Paul's saying, look straight up, the problem is not that you're behaving badly, the problem is not that you're bored or that you have no purpose in life, the problem is not that you're dry, the problem is that you're dead. This is what sin does. And then he goes on, verse 4, However, God is rich in mercy, and he brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of the things that we did wrong. And he did this because of the great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace. And here's resurrection language again. And God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. But now, thanks to Christ Jesus, you who were once so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you see both images there? The dead raised up to life with Christ, and the far away brought near 
That's exactly how the Old Testament paired the images. Death in the Garden of Eden, exile, distance from the Garden of Eden. Forgive, uh, uh, rebelling against God, exile from the land, which will be reversed by this image of resurrection. And Paul says, you know what, guys? I've got the best news ever. It's happened in Jesus. It's happened in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus brings us back from the death and the distance that sin brought about. Jesus brings us back from the death and the distance that sin brought about. See, this is why I say the gospel is not about God giving you a second chance. That's not actually very good news, is it? I mean, I appreciate that there's a good effort here to say, hey, Christians, let's give other people a second chance. That's certainly something we can do as humans. But God does something that only God can do. God doesn't give second chances. Because if you think about it, if you have a second chance to try again with your same old life, that's not very good news. In fact, it's lousy news because it's just another chance to mess up again. And so many people, so many of you have grown up in churches where the gospel was presented to you as God wiping the slate clean and saying, hey, it's okay, try again. And you're like, I don't want to try again. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a math problem. You're called in front of the class to work it out. and You're like, I don't know how to do this equation. Your teacher's like, it's okay, I got good news. You can try again. You're like, that is not good news. <laughs> Just get me out of here. Right? The gospel is not a second chance to try again. The gospel is not bad people learning how to do behavior modification with tips and techniques to become better and improve ourselves. The gospel is dead people being brought to life. The gospel is about people who were distant and far off and disconnected from the source of life being brought near again. Jesus brings us back from the death and the distance that sin brought about. And so when Jesus is talking to Martha and she says, okay, Jesus, one day I know my brother will rise again at the last. He says, no, no, Martha, I got something better for you. I actually am the resurrection and the life. Now this is amazing. Because for us, again, so many of us were introduced to Jesus in a transaction model. Come to Jesus, sign on the dotted line, give us your mailing address, and God will give you eternal life. It's like, oh, what a deal. That is a bar. Okay, I'll sign right here, pray the prayer, hallelujah. And it's a transaction between God. But you know what Jesus says? It's like, now nah, listen, man, the life that you really need, it's not something I give. It's someone I am. Now think of the difference of that. God doesn't do deals. God doesn't do transactions. What he does is personal. You want life? I am life. Come to me. You want resurrection? I am resurrection. Come to me. C.S. Lewis talks about this, that we, we, the things that we want from God, they're not actually things that God gives, they're attributes that God is. Amen. And so all of these things, we, we want love, we want comfort, we want peace. It's like, no, these aren't like cookies that God has in his pockets. Like, who wants some cookies, you know? And then we come to God one day, say, like, oh, bad luck, I'm all out of cookies. No peace for you. <laughs> no life for you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I wish I could. I just, I'm, I'm fresh out. These are not things God gives. This, these are attributes that God is. Is. 
And Jesus changes the game because the resurrection used to be just something that God would do. Now Jesus is saying, no, the resurrection is someone that I am. You want resurrection? Get me. Get me. You want life? Get Jesus. It's him. It's him. It's not a thing. It's not a transaction. This whole Christian thing is about following Jesus, right? And sometimes in our good intentions, we've turned it into a transaction. And so, oh, I've, got, I've, I've, got res- I've got eternal life. I said yes one time. That, that's great. We should all say yes. But you know what? You should keep on saying yes. Because this is about the person of Jesus Christ who is the resurrection. So what do we do with this? How should we respond to this startling claim of Jesus? The word believe shows up about 120 times in the New Testament. 54 of those times are in John's gospel. That's a lot. Nearly half of the references of the word believe in the New Testament show up in John's gospel. John, of any one of the other writers, is trying to show us that when we're confronted with who Jesus is, the question is, do you believe? So John 1, he opens and he says, but all who, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And of course, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish perish but have eternal life john 20 at the end of his gospel he says now jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written why why did you write this book john so that you may believe that jesus christ is the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name now listen to this only twice in john's gospels does jesus directly ask someone do you believe once was the man who was born blind, John 9, and the other time is right here. Now, what I love about John's gospel more than the other gospels is how deeply personal it is. If you're a person who likes content, Matthew's the book for you. Matthew's got these long sermons from Jesus. You're like, oh, I love it. I can study it, you know. If you're a person that loves stories, you're an artsy type, Luke is the gospel for you, full of parables. Like, I don't even know exactly what they mean, but I love those stories. If you're all about the action, like, let's keep it fast-paced, Mark is the book for you. But man, if you want to see Jesus stopping and having long personal encounters with people, John's the book for you. Because here's Jesus stopping and talking with Martha. And he says to her, John 11, the end of verse 26, he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? And she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. See, in other Gospels, who is it that makes this confession? It's Peter. Peter, oh, of course, Peter, the alpha male, yes, Peter, yes, hallelujah. But wait a minute, here's a woman. And not just a woman, but a woman in other Gospels who were sort of meant to kind of, oh, Martha, look down on. But John won't have it. John says, Martha's special. Martha sees who Jesus is. Martha gets to say who Jesus is before any of the rest of the disciples get it. Before Peter gets it, before James gets it, before any of the the other dudes get it, she gets it. She gets it. And there's something 
beautifully personal about this, about the way John tells this story. He says, now Martha had a moment. See, here's what I think. I think if you're the one that comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been your Lord, if you had only Lord, if you had, do you know what you get in exchange for bringing your, your questions to Jesus? You don't get answers. Not usually anyway. But you get Jesus. Martha got a revelation of who Jesus is. She didn't get her question answered. She didn't get an explanation of the theology of suffering. She didn't get an explanation about how there are many things at work in a fallen world, but she got a picture of who Jesus is. And this is why I like Martha. Because Martha's like me. I want to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you know that if you had just... And he says, I know, Martha. I just have one question for you. I thank you for your questions. I've got one for you. Do you believe? Yes, Lord. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. And I think, in many ways, Martha is kind of the hero of John's gospel right in the middle of his book. John's whole goal is to get us to believe well, who's the only one who can, makes that confession here? It's Martha. It's Martha. So for you today, the question is, do you believe? Do you believe the good news that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe this? How many of you are like, yes, yes, I do believe it, but man... I, it, it is, there's a something powerful about walking with someone as they pass from death to life. Last year, we started at New Life Downtown doing Alpha, and some of you will, will be familiar that Alpha is a way of, of setting the table for warm, it's really for radical hospitality, for allowing people to bring all of their questions and objections and doubts and arguments about Jesus and about Christianity, and to explore it in a place where they won't be judged, where they won't be shut down. In fact, there's a, there, the, each week there's a sort of a short presentation about how to wrestle with the questions about the meaning of life from a Christian perspective. And then at the tables, that's where the real stuff happens. You know, people begin to say, well, now hang on a minute, how, how, how can this be? And, how can I? and so when we, when we first launched Alpha last spring, I, I was involved in teaching some of the talks and, and meeting some of the folks that were there. And there was a young man that was part of it, and I, I knew his sister-in-law, and, and uh, although he and... and, and the scal weren't married at the time, and, and they were coming to Alpha, and, and he, uh, at different points in, in the course, I would say to him, hey, how's it, how's it going? What do you think? And he's like, this is so good, man. He's like, I've never been to church in my life. Can you imagine? Grew up in the Northeast. He said, I've only been to a few, like, really formal Christmas or Easter services, I, but I don't, you know, this is all kind of new. And he's like, I don't know what I think yet. I'm not sure if I believe. I know that when I come here, it's just so good, but I don't know why. So, okay, well, that's cool, man. Let's just keep doing this. And then we went up Woodland Park, had a little retreat. You'd kind of have this retreat near the end of the Alpha um, course. And, and I just did this little talk in the Holy Spirit. We're praying for people. And I went over and sat next to him, and I'll just, let's just call him Nate. I said, Nate, how, how are you feeling now? And he said, you know, I don't know what it is, but I, I'm in now. He's like, I'm in. I believe. 
And he's like, something just sort of washed over me, and I know that I'm a child of God. You guys, <laughs> there's nothing like standing with a person as that moment happens, right? And of course, it's this journey that begins to unfold, and later that summer he called about working it out so that he could actually be married to the woman that he's with and the child that they have together. And they had their little wedding ceremony. And now, if you ever go up to New Life Next for our new visitors kind of orientation thing we do once a month, you might recognize this guy in the cafeteria who's providing all of the food for the evening or some of the desserts for the evening. That's Nate. Not really Nate, other name. But he's serving now continuing to follow Jesus. Why? Because one day he began to see differently and life came to someone who was dead. Now many of you in the room, you're like, Glenn, I, I've, I've been there, I've done that, I know I believe in Jesus, but I think it's very easy to sort of forget how powerful the gospel really is. And so all of us each day wake up with the sense of saying, okay, do I believe again that, I, that the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in me? Do I believe again today that the Holy Spirit is renewing me from the inside? Do I believe again today that I have passed from death to life? See, there are different things in your life where you're convinced that it's all over. It's all over in my marriage. It's all over in my business. It's all over in my... It's all over. It is done. And maybe in some sense the situation per se doesn't change. But resurrection is God's announcement that it's not over. Resurrection is God's announcement that this is not where the story ends for you. Resurrection is God's announcement that this is not the closing of the book Resurrection is God's announcement that whatever you think is final is not final until Jesus has the last word. And his last word is Lazarus come forth. Resurrection is God's announcement that it's not over yet. But there's another question for us. The story goes on. And Martha and Mary and all of the people that are around, they get to share in the miracle. Because Jesus says to them, roll the stone away. Now, hang on a minute. If you're going to call someone from the dead, Jesus, couldn't you move the stone? I mean, like, it's not that hard, right? I mean, if you're going to bring a person back from the dead, and mind you, this is resuscitation, not technically what we think of when we say resurrection, because it's not a new body that Lazarus got, but still, it's hard to do, bringing someone back from the dead, okay? So if you're going to do that, well, surely you can move the stone, right? And then he has them move the stone, and then he says, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus comes forth. And then he says, would someone untie the grave clothes from this dude? And you're like, okay, Jesus, you brought him back from the dead. Couldn't you remove the grave clothes? I mean, like, how hard is it? Just one more step. Give him a new outfit or something, you know? But I think what's going on is Jesus invites us to participate in the resurrection life coming to other people. So yeah, one question is, do you believe the good news? But the other question is, will, do you believe that you can participate in resurrection life coming to others? 
Do you believe that you can be part of this story continuing in other people's lives? Do you believe that you can be part of the journey for someone else? Do you believe that there is some small way through a conversation or a meal or a hand on the shoulder or a prayer or a smile or a hug or a text, some small way that you are rolling back the stone in someone else's life? You are rolling back the stone so that they can hear Jesus speak. Yeah, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe the gospel? Will you believe in it strong enough to say, we're players in the story. We're part of the story. We get to join in this. That's why we do church, right? Because if this is just about Jesus kind of doing his one-off things, then it's like, cool, all of us know Jesus, but none of us know each other. But in this story, Jesus honors all the relationships. The same people who were weeping over Lazarus now get to be part of Lazarus coming back to life. So who are the people in your lives? Who are the people in your lives? You're like, I, I, I carry this ache for them. I'm burdened for them. I'm heavy for them. I, And how might Jesus be inviting you this morning to say, would you roll back the stone? Because if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, then let's get all the barriers out of the way. We don't do the miracle. We do the work of preparing the way so they can see Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. Would you bow your heads this morning?